Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thrilled that you are here to, to worship with us. And uh, it's actually a great, it's a great time in the life of Redeemer to, to be here, especially if you're a guest or a visitor with us, because we're actually going through a series called Values, which is uh, actually kind of rare for us as a church. We're, we're a church that even you see it in our call to worship. We're just reading straight scripture. And we're trying, everything that we're trying to do is just trying to funnel us down to what gives us life, which is truly life. Uh, Jesus said that the true worshipers would worship him in spirit and in truth. And what is the truth? The truth is the very word of God. And so it's actually rare for us to kind of take a step back and uh, not just go straight through a book of the Bible. Uh, But uh, we had a little time uh, to spare before the beginning of the semester. We actually are, are a church that really delights and tries to, to use our resources. So you've seen Davis up here twice already. Uh, Davis's role, uh, which I don't know if he mentioned, is he is our college director here to where we just launch him out on campus for about 30 hours a week and just say, hey, go make disciples uh, at Midwestern State University at Vernon College here in Wichita Falls. So we're a church that really desires to try to reach and equip the next generation of disciples who can then in turn make disciples. And so we decided, uh, like I said, to kind of talk about who are we as a church? Who, what are our values and, and what makes us distinct and what has God called us to in our particular time and place? And so I've been talking through what it means to uh, believe the gospel and what it means to be centered on the gospel in all of our lives, what it means to to be a disciple of Jesus, and what it means to to center our lives around the act of following him or what we call discipleship. And today we're going to talk about one thing, and I really have just one point today, and it is why make disciples. Our mission statement is we want to be a gospel-centered family of disciple-makers, And that's very specific, and so our values coincide with our mission statement. We want to be gospel-centered in all that we do. We want to make disciples, and we want to function together as a family. So what do we mean by by all of that? Well, um, if you're... uh, If you don't yet know, we're going to go through the book of John here in the fall, so gear up for that. And you're like, man, there is so much to unpack here, Cody. How are we going to get through this really meaty passage of John chapter 15, verses 5 through 12? Well, I'm just going to hone in on one verse. And you're like, oh, man, I feel shortchanged. Just come back in the fall. We'll go through the entire book, and then you'll you'll get chapter 15, okay? But this is what uh, verse 8 says, and this will lead us to the primary point of today's sermon. It says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The one point that we have today is that disciple-making is evidence that you're a faithful follower of Jesus. The act of you functioning and living in the mission of God, which we'll talk a little bit about in, in a second, is you actively and trying to seek out what it means to faithfully follow Jesus and do what he says faithfully, which is to make disciples who in turn make disciples. There is no such thing as a reproducing Christian. You say, Cody, that's bold. That's bold. I feel like I've known lots of non-reproducing Christian. Well, let's, let's stop there for a second. Do you know that the word Christian is only used three times in the Greek New Testament? And every time that it's used, it's used kind of as a, as a slander to where they're making fun. Oh, they just think they're a little Christ out there. 
And so what we've done is we have belittled this idea of what it means to actually be a Christian. Because that what's used in the New Testament is the word disciple. And that's used over 300 times. And so you say, well, Cody, uh, it's impossible to be a non-reproducing Christian, but what are you saying there? Well, what I'm saying is it's impossible to be a disciple and to not act like uh, the person that you are being discipled by. 270 times, over 270 times, it uses the word disciple in addressing people in this room that identify as a follower, as an apprentice, as someone who is trying to walk after and be discipled by Jesus. Now, it's important to get this message right because this is the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, correct? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples, right? This is what he said after he resurrected. Now, um, my mom is here today, so I'm not going to give any specific examples, but there's multiple times I remember growing up in my house, and, and my mom would be like, hey, you need to do this before I get back. And unfortunately, we didn't have find my friends back then because I, I, I didn't even have a cell phone. I just had a flip phone. I could call. I had everyone's phone, uh, phone number memorized in it. It was amazing. I've lost that ability altogether. I'm sure you have too. Um, and, uh, but she would tell me multiple times, like, hey, you need to do this before I get back. And I, I tell you what, I had to risk. Sometimes I had to risk. Sometimes I did it immediately and just got out of the way, you know. I was like, okay, I have to go do this, clean my room or whatever I have to do. And I get out of the way, and then I can go and do whatever I want afterwards. And sometimes I played it really, really, really uh, not safe by hearing the garage door opening and then just sprinting, just like three, four speed, you know, or four, whatever a fast 40-yard dash time is. And, and I would just go as fast as I can to do whatever I was supposed to do. He's like, oh, get the laundry out and fold it and, you know, just throw it in my closet or under my bed and I was like I'll do it later you know um, but this is this is serious because uh, I knew that reckoning was coming if my mom came back and I didn't do the one thing she told me to do um, right before she left and I think it's funny for us as as followers of Jesus and I really don't take any delight in this message but how how crazy would it be if we know that wrath is coming whenever we don't do what our parents tell us to do and whenever they leave. But the Lord of hosts, the last thing that he tells us to do, if we think to ourselves, oh, I'll get to that later. No, he's the Lord of hosts. He's coming back. And before, before he left, he gave very specific instructions. Go and make disciples. Jesus said very plainly whenever he was first calling, calling his, his 12, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Which means if you're really following Jesus, he's making you into that. A fisher of men. That's what he is calling us to today. Verse 8 again, let me read it out loud. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you prove to be a disciple? By bearing much fruit. By bearing much fruit. And the scary thing is, is if you think that you're alive in Christ and you are not producing any good, good works that lead to salvation, can you really say you're alive Things that are alive reproduce. Things that are alive bear fruit. It's very obvious the 
the difference between alive branches on my crepe myrtle and dead branches on my crepe myrtle. I kept on trying to see if I could resurrect some of the, the, the live or the dead crepe myrtle branches and just thinking, oh, they're connected to the stem, so maybe life will come up. But no, no, they never did. I would prune and I would prune and I would prune, which is really the context of what Jesus, the illustration that Jesus is, is laying here. But eventually, you know what I had to do? I just said I had to cut them off and throw them into the fire. That's what I had to do because they weren't producing any fruit. Have you examined your life, Christian, follower of Jesus, professor of the faith? Have you examined your life? Am I producing living works that, that lead to life which is truly life in other people? I know this is a serious question, but it's the question that is before us today. Because let's go to Matthew 28. I quoted it earlier. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. 18 says something very uh, interesting, right? All authority is whose? Is yours if you figure it out? No. He said, all authority is mine. Therefore, in light of that authority, I'm going to give you a command. Verse 19 says this. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Now in English, there's several verbs here. All right. I'm, I'm not going to give you a, a very long English lesson, but it's actually kind of important to, if we really want to grasp the main point of this, of this passage. It's, there's several verbs in English. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. These are um, four, four verbs that we see in this, but in Greek, there's actually only one verb. You know what that verb is? Make disciples. Everything else is just a participle. And you say, Cody, oh, you've lost me. All right? A participle just modifies or, or gives explanation to, to, the, to the verb. But uh, make disciples is the central verb in this section. Everything else is just an extension of that. Teaching, going, and baptizing. The central part of starting, uh, uh, being a follower of Jesus, the central part is to make disciples. So that means if you bear the name Christ in here, the number one trajectory of your life, we talked about this last week, is upon total surrender of the Lord Jesus Christ, have you personally embraced the Great Commission? Whenever I came here to, to plant, or actually even before I considered planting, I read a book by a guy named Randy Pope. You're never going to read it, so, but I'll give it. It's a great book. Um, it's called Insourcing, How to Bring Discipleship Back to the Local Church. And I noticed that all he was doing was ripping off this guy named Robert Coleman, Dr. Robert, Robert Coleman, who was talking about what it means to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so I said, well, I'm reading this book, and it's a pretty long book. Why don't I just read the book that he's quoting, which was a much shorter book, but it was written in 1962 by Robert Coleman. And this book is called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And I know there's several buzzwords in there, and especially being in Wichita Falls. Anytime I say the word evangelism, there's certain images that pop up in our, in our mind. We think of the guy standing on, you know, just like a, uh, on a soapbox or something on the, on the street corner with a bullhorn yelling at people that they're going to go to hell. That's not exactly what I'm talking about at all here. But, uh, or is, it's not what um, Robert Coleman is talking about here. But uh, there are several several things that have completely transformed my view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus that have come from this book. Y'all, I grew up in the church. 
Like many people in this room, I grew up, I grew up in the church, and uh, I appreciated the, the teaching and leading, but I, there was something that never sunk in, in, in my heart. You know what that thing was? What is my purpose as a Christian? What is my purpose? And it, it might not, not have been until I was already in ministry reading this book called The Master Plan of Evangelism that I then understood what my purpose, why did Jesus even save me in the first place? So listen up. Here's a quote from Robert Coleman, and this absolutely revolutionized the way that I thought about who I was in Christ. And I hope it does for you as well. Robert Coleman says this. It says, the Great Commission, which we just read, which is there's a different version in every single one of the synoptic gospels, including John, and even in the book of Acts. It says this, the Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to build others like themselves who were so constrained by the commission." Of Christ, that they not only follow Jesus themselves, but this is the key they lead others to follow him as well. They lead others to follow him as well. That is the metric, he says, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to personally embrace your role in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. There's so many churches out there. Uh, churches that have good intentions and good hearts. And I'm, not judging, I'm not judging any of them, but their metrics are wrong. Their metrics are wrong. If they're trying to judge uh, their success based on how much attendance they have or how many people came on Sunday or, or how many baptisms they've had or how many converts they had or, or they, they, they threw a big evangelistic event over here and they said, we had this many people and this many people accept Christ over here. These metrics are not evil. They're just the wrong metrics. They're the wrong. Heaven doesn't celebrate any of those numbers. You know what it does celebrate? Making disciples. Making disciples. This is what brings God great glory, and this is what it means. This is what it means to participate in the mission, the mission of God. And what's so interesting about all of this is that we feel like, you know what? Cody, you might not be right on that. Right? Did I just read your mind a little bit? Cody, what if, I don't know if you're right. I, I don't know if that's my specific role. It's, it's not my gift. It sounds like the Great Commission is just a gift set that certain people have and certain people embrace, and they go and do the Great Commission. And so, Cody, that, that might be your gift. You're getting up, you're standing up there, you're yelling at us about the Bible and all that stuff, and you, so like you're, you seem pretty confident as you're yelling at us, which is rude in other contexts, but right now it seems appropriate. It's like maybe that's, maybe this is just your gift, and, you're, and we're all supposed to support you as you accomplish the work of the Great Commission. The problem is the Bible knows nothing of that sentiment. That is something that has happened here in the Bible Belt. The Bible knows nothing about it. We actually try to prove this to you in our Redeemer Basics class. We go, uh, we go through Scripture and we talk about how uh, the Great Commission was something that uh, was embraced by every single follower of Christ in the early church. There, there was this explosion of Christianity, not because there was a few great preachers or a few great megachurches, but because everyone personally embraced their role in the Great Commission. They saw the resurrected God Jesus Christ, our Lord, and they heard what he said, and then they saw the angel who said, what are you doing? He just gave you marching orders. Go and do what he said, and then they went out and did it, 
And what's interesting is, I'm not going to rehash all this. I encourage you to come to Redeemer Basics. And uh, if you want to uh, have this proved to you through the word of God, especially in the book of Acts. But there's this section in Acts uh, chapter 11 that talks about the dispersion or a persecution of all the Christians except for the apostles. The apostles stayed in one place and all other Christians were dispersed without, within the, the known world of, of Rome. And guess what happened? Everywhere those dispersed Christians went, they made disciples and started churches. Why? Because they all knew and understood what their role as a follower of Jesus actually, actually was. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is one of the clearest definitions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is it not? Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. Uh, we have to embrace that intellectually, do we not? One of the ways that we have to... Uh, step into the Christian faith is by trusting that Jesus actually is Lord. So whenever he says, follow me, we answer that call. Yes, Lord, I will follow. I will follow you. And so this is kind of like an intellectual exercise, is it not? Is Jesus Lord? Yes or no? I would imagine almost everyone in this room, almost everyone, except for some of our friends that are discovering or, or, or kind of checking out us as Christians, which I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for for honoring us by just listening to how we talk to one another. I'm so glad that you're here. It, it, it truly is a joy. But listen, one of the ways that we do embrace the faith is intellectually, right, with our head. We have to say, we have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. Okay? So that's part of what it means to be a disciple. There's also something else that it means to be a disciple, which is this. I will make you. This is Jesus declaring this in Luke 5. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What it means to, to be made informed by Jesus is that he begins to transform your heart. So there's an intellectual ascent, right? You're following Jesus with your head, and then he's changing your heart motivations. This is what it means to be a disciple. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I have all the right theology up here. You and I can study for a theology test and maybe make 100 uh, maybe make a hundred on it just the same way that you would study for a history test or a biology test or a chemistry test. All you got to do is know some of the, the core tenets and you can get a hundred intellectually on what it means to be a Christian. But there is something about being made informed by Jesus that means that, that, that is defining what it means for you to be a disciple, that you're being transformed at the heart level, that your motivations for why you do the things that you do become different. They become different. You're no longer doing things for a self-centered way. You're no longer serving other people so that, they, they, so that they think that you're awesome. You're no longer serving other people so that you can get them under your thumb for some reason. You begin to do, uh, do the things that you're doing. Why? Because you love God. You say, God commanded me so I can move out and I can bless other people. I can serve other people because I don't have to use them anymore. I have the acceptance of Christ. I don't have to use people. I don't, I don't need their approval. I don't need their affection. I have all the approval infection and affection that I need through Jesus. And so there's a change at the heart level that begins to happen, right? But the verse isn't done. And I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. So we have the head, we have the heart change, and then we have the hand change. 
This is what it means to be a holistic disciple of Jesus, that your head, your heart, and your hands begin to be transformed by the good news of Jesus, that he lived the perfect life that you should have lived, that he died the death that you should have died, that he rose again to send you out on mission. And this is what it means for you to be a holistic follower of Jesus, that everything about your life, not just, not just your philosophy, not just your worldview, but everything is centered on the good news of Jesus. Robert Coleman goes on to say this, which is just absolute gold. A barren Christian is a contradiction. A tree is known by its fruit. fruit fruitlessness was the, the thing lacking in the lives of, listen to this, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. A group of people that had an outward form of religion, but had no internal reality, which made them so wretched in Jesus' sight. Jesus said to them, um, you are so fervent in your religion, but you don't reproduce faith and love for God and in other people. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I have no delight in you getting 100 on your theology test. I have no delight of you living in the Bible Belt and being okay with just being an above average Christian in the Bible Belt. He doesn't take any delight in that. He's saying, I want you to produce fruit, fruit that lasts through life-giving, life-transformation power of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. A movement of disciple-making disciples is what God's plan is for the world. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, if you bear the name Christ, if you have been transformed by the Holy Spirit through regeneration, he is calling you out into the world to proclaim his good news and to live for his mission. That's what it means. His, God doesn't want to form megachurches. He doesn't want to form different evangelistic parachurch ministries to equip us over here and then just make those parachurch ministries really, really awesome and great. God's plan A is you. It's you to take the good news that, have, that has transformed your life and to go to others with it. Total surrender, total embrace of what the Lord is calling us to. That's what I said yesterday or last week, is it not? That part of following Jesus is personally embracing your role in the Great Commission. He doesn't want us to just passively think that we need to do this and be more moral and say, bless you, brother, whenever you come in and say, oh, let me, let me pray for that and then never actually pray for that and put on this pretty religion. That's the same religion as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he takes no delight in that. And I tell you what, whenever I grew up, I, I thought, not by anyone's fault but my own sin, but I thought that that's what all, that's the only thing Jesus wanted from me. That he was just the eye of Siron, just to like watch, like follow me around for all you uh, Lord of the Ring nerds, um, and just watching, waiting for me to mess up, and then just look at me and just produce shame and guilt on me. And it was, and it took forever for me to actually see that the purpose of why I needed to follow Jesus, the purpose of that was that he he wanted to send me out on his mission for his great glory. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's to live on mission for him wherever you go. Before I uh, came here to Wichita Falls, uh, we, we got to be a part of a church or a sending church. I was doing a lot of cool things. 
And I, I really am so thankful for that church. There's a lot of godly men and women there that are faithfully serving the Lord. But they were going through kind of a, a series to, to restructure their vision for what God had for them for the next 20 years. And, uh, and so it was, it was a great opportunity to kind of go to these smaller house meetings that they were doing to cast vision for the entire church. And one of the things that they did during that time was they, they asked uh, everyone to stand up and say, what, what is your, what they, they call, what is your Redeemer moment? What is the moment that you knew that Redeemer was the church that you wanted to be a part of? And there was a college student that stood up. And uh, whenever she stood up, she, say, she uh, quickly kind of started crying and saying, there's a lot of things that are, went on in this church that have really cultivated my relationship with Christ, and I'm so thankful for it. And she said, but I knew my Redeemer moment was whenever you, and this is very humbling and kind of awkward, she pointed directly at me. Now, let me say this. I've never seen this girl in my entire life. Um, and I was like, you know what? And, and in, my, in my heart and in my sinful nature, I was like, I probably preached a great sermon. And she <laughs> it was like, she's about to tell about some sermon that I preached. And, and, and man, I'm, I'm ready to hear this. And she goes, whenever you... Pause, tears, steps back into it, shared the gospel with my brother. And I was like, girl, I don't know who you are. And he's like, I think she's, she's got it wrong. I don't, I don't know who you are. I definitely don't know who your brother is. Um, and so she goes on to tell the story, and then something hit me. About four months later, as I Market Street, struck up a conversation with a guy, and uh, anyways, got to the gospel. He said, dude, I think that's so dumb. <laughs> he was very straightforward, and I was just like, flop, fail. I talked to him. I was kind. I was gentle to him. But apparently, he went home, and he told his sister about it. I was like, there's this weirdo that uh, talked to me. Uh, he was kind at first, and then he talked to me, um, and he was kind the entire time, but he talked to me about Jesus. And uh, I think he goes to your church. And he goes, that was kind of cool, but it was kind of weird, too, a little bit. And... Um, she had been praying for a brother for three years to come to faith. And uh, this is not a happy ending story to where he didn't believe after that, but I'm still praying for that, uh, for that guy. And the only point of saying that is this, is we have no idea how the Lord is going to use, how, how he's going to use our resources, our time, our energy, our effort in the mission of God. That, that was out of sight, out of mind for me. I thought it was a total failure, but what it did behind the scenes is it produced in this girl's heart a desire to live out the Great Commission. And I, I'm telling you, there's going to be a million, a trillion stories, stories like that in glory whenever we get there of, of our faithfulness to step out and risk for the mission of God is going to transform lives all over the place. But you may or may not ever know about it. That's why it's worth it. It is so worth it to step in and to enter into the mission of God because we don't know how God is going to use us. And, we, and, and listen, it's really not even up to us. We are just a faithful vessel to say, God, use me. God, use me wherever you want and whatever you want. See, I think the enemy, if I was the enemy, uh, I would try to disillusion us from ever stepping into the mission of God whatsoever, Right? Um, and I tell you what, how this is manifested is as I've come uh, to, to kind of talk about our vision, I said this last week, but everyone's been cool in Wichita Falls about gospel centrality, love that, family, church function together as a family, love that, disciple making, 
what? What do you mean by that? Do you mean invite people to church? Because I can probably handle that if the church is good. Like if the music is good, like I might be able to be okay with that. But uh, how much am I going to have to risk for this? It's always been the mission of God that has, that has caused disillusionment whenever I talk about what it means to be a part of Redeemer Church and what I'm asking the Lord to form us into, what I'm asking him to, to create and cultivate within us. And I think, listen to this, I think the enemy has convinced us in this room that nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants that awkward conversation at Market Street. No one, no one wants us to, to say the name Jesus out, out loud. No one, no one wants to risk it at work. Uh, what if you get fired? How embarrassing would that be? You have a mortgage. You have bills to pay. Jesus can't be worth that. In fact, that would be imprudent. It wouldn't be wise for you to even step into that. And I think we believe all of those lies, do we not? Over and over again. But I think... All of that is a lie itself. I think what the world is craving right now is not less Christianity, but more authentic Christianity. I think the world is, is so angry, so angry that they see Christians that say that they believe in a place called hell, but yet never tell their friends that don't go to church, that, that are far from God, that maybe have had a bad experience in a church before. You say you believe in a place called eternal hell, and you never say anything about it? How could that be real? That's what the world is saying. They want a more authentic version. They want, they want us to put um, our our evangelism, where our, uh, where our faith actually is. They want us to step in more faithfully. The world is not, is not angry. The world is not, um, and, and they might be, you might find the one person that is really, really uh, teed off at the idea of you talking about Jesus in a public place, but that hardly ever happens. It always, what typically happens in our evangelism, especially in the Bible Belt, is you give someone the opportunity to be vulnerable about deep wounds in their heart. And my hope for Redeemer Church is that we enter into that space, that we, we embrace this role of followers of Jesus, that we're not just going to be okay with filling our heads with Bible knowledge. We're not just going to be okay with going to a small group and, and cultivating new friendships with interesting people, but we're going to get to a place where we say, we are so convinced that the mission of God is what God has created us for, designed us for, that our evangelism, that, that, that our embracement of the Great Commission is what we were created to do. And why he saved us. He didn't just save us so that we'd be more moral or, stop, or start cussing less or stop drinking so much. That has nothing to do with it. God is calling us. God is calling us to embrace what he wants for us. To see what he said. And to say, you know what, Lord, you are worth it. You're worth it. Is he worth it? Redeemer Church, in your own life, is he worth it? My hope is you answer that with a resounding yes. You say, Cody, how are we going to do this? Is there a strategy? Like, are you just going to get up in here and bang on stuff? <laughs> is that the strategy? No. No. Um, another thing that's been confusing about Redeemer Church 
is uh, I talk about small groups, which we call gospel communities here. And people are like, ah, I've been there, done that, (laughs) tried that, and that fell apart. And that was kind of a disaster. That's actually part of my story of like why I I don't really love Jesus anymore because there was a bunch of wrecked people in my last small group, okay? And uh, we didn't have anything in common, and it was so forced, and it was was inauthentic, and blah, blah, blah. You you know the story. You know the story. It might be your story. And I'm not trying to belittle it, but... uh, um, it's all too common, right? Well, here at Redeemer Church, we want to function together not aiming at friendship, not aiming at Christian community, but aiming at the mission of God. Because here's the thing. Jesus never sent someone out by themselves to go share the gospel. He always sent people out two by two. And so you know what that means? We need each other. If, if we're going to actually embrace this idea of God is going to transform the world by disciple-making disciples. If we're going to embrace this personally as a member of this church, as someone that's all in with what we're doing here at Redeemer, if you're going to embrace that, guess what? You will flame out quickly by doing it by yourself. Who knows who your lost friends are right now? Who knows who your lost friends are? Who's praying for them weekly right now? Do you have an answer to that question? It's no wonder why we don't embrace the mission of God. Because we don't have knee-jerk reactions to that question. Right? It makes sense, doesn't it? It's like we're we're not stepping in faithfully, so how can we do it? We'll, We'll flame out if we're by ourselves. But God has given us the church. He's given us the church. And what our hope for gospel community is this, is our gospel communities exist for the mission of God. They exist for it. So that as we are establishing communities that are function as gospel-centered, disciple-making families, as we, as we are there, as we're doing that, we know that arm in arm, week by week, I have people around me that are faithfully praying for those that are far from God in my sphere of influence where I go and work and live and play. That, that, that are bearing each other's burdens, that are functioning together as a family, that try to live out as salt and light in our community. But our main goal is not community. Our main goal is not fellowship. Our main goal is not Bible study, even though all those things are beautiful things. Our main goal is the mission of God. The mission of God. We need each other for it. So, Cody, when are we supposed to, when are we supposed to grow? We have things called grow groups. All right? Grow groups are when you go deep in the word of God. And you try to confess your sin. You pray for one another. You bear each other's burdens together. And this is, this is how we deeply, deeply, deeply get an overflow of the gospel in our lives so that our larger gospel communities, we spill out into the mission. So, Cody, that sounds like a lot. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of that. If Jesus really is who he says he is, guess what? I'm asking for four hours a week. Four hours a week to where we come together as the body of Christ and we say we're living on the mission of God. If Jesus really did raise from the dead, if Jesus really did call us out on mission, we can do that. 168 hours per week, I'm asking for four of them. Four of them. So that we can faithfully be filled up in the gospel and sent out on mission. That is my hope. That is my hope. So often... We like to say the church doesn't need to be a cruise ship. 
Who do I get this from? I got this from your, your former pastor. Um, the church doesn't need to be a cruise ship. It needs to be a battleship. I'll go one step further. The church needs to function together. The gathering of the saints on Sunday morning, we need to be an aircraft carrier, okay? Sorry, I know we're at Shepherd and y'all don't own aircraft carriers, but just pretend. Just pretend for just a little bit, okay? We need to be an aircraft carrier. What happens on an aircraft carrier? It's bad news if we're going to war here. What this place needs to be is it needs to be a refueling station so that we can take the world, war out to the world. So that we can go push back the, the, the enemy, which is darkness. So that we can bring the light of the world to all places that we live. To all places that we work. To all places that we recreate. So that the entire town, our entire lives is transformed by us being salt and light. And going and living out on mission. God. This is why at the end of every single service here at Redeemer, you see it on your bulletin right now. It says, Redeemer, you are sent. You are sent. Why? Because we want you to be the church, the church that embraces their role as a disciple that makes other disciples. And we need each other. We need each other. You think you can do this by yourself? You can't. You can't. I can't. I can't do this by myself. We need one another to focus ourselves on the mission through the word of God so that we can go and transform a generation who will make disciples who make disciples so that no one else will have my story. Who are like, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Is it just moral conformity? No. It's the mission of God filled with joy so that we can prove ourselves to be his disciples. Okay? I hope you join I hope you embrace it as your own. Let's pray.